Thank you, Eddie. Have your Bibles with you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. We'll read the first four, first four verses this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Read with me. Take heed that you do not your arms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine arms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites, hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest arms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine arms may be in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. Let's pray before the word this morning. Father, we thank you once again for this time we've been able to, uh, to celebrate the, the wonderful gift that was given to us at Calvary. And Father, I just pray now that your spirit would be working on our hearts as I share this word that you've given to me. Father, we just pray that your word would go forth. Indeed, we know that it never returns empty, but it always achieves that which, is, which has been called to do. So, Father, we just pray this morning that our hearts would indeed be open to your word, that we would learn of it, that we would take it into our hearts, that it would uh, take root in our hearts, Lord, and that it would grow to bear fruit in our lives, giving you the glory in all things. Thank you once again for this time. Father, I ask that you use me, Lord, to share this word faithfully this morning with boldness, Lord, that we might grow thereby into the image of your only begotten Son. We thank you for him and this word today. In his name we pray. Amen. Henry Ford. You know Henry Ford. Henry Ford was the inventor of the, uh, of the Ford uh, motor vehicle and became the, the, the person who, who started the Ford Motor Company. Uh, was once asked for a donation for the construction of a new uh, medical facility in the States. And he was already a billionaire at that time, and he pledged $5,000. So he, he offered $5,000 for the, um, for the uh, building of this uh, medical facility. The next day, in the paper, the uh, headline read, Henry Ford contributes $50,000 to the local hospital. He got upset. He immediately picked up his phone and called the fundraiser to complain that he'd been misunderstood. I didn't say $50,000, I said $5,000. To which the fundraiser replied, OK, we'll print a retraction in the newspaper tomorrow saying that you're, re you're reducing your, um, your donation by $45,000. Thought about that and realised that it would give him poor publicity. It would make him look miserly. So he said, all right, all right, all right, I'll give you the $50,000. But I want something written over the, the doorway of the hospital. I want some sort of a biblical inscription that says, I came among you and you took me in. To which they agreed and the, the, the facility got its $50,000 and uh, Henry Ford came out looking really good and very generous. Most businesses, those of you who are in business, 
when, when businesses get to a certain size especially, they do what we call in modern day uh, lingo, marketing. Most of you know what marketing is because you're subjected to it each and every day of your lives in every corner of your lives. What they do is they begin to create an image for the public. And we call this image branding. Okay? Now, companies brand themselves, so they want, they, they want to be seen in the public to be a certain way. And, and part of what businesses do is they give to charities. And they give and identify themselves with charities. And you can probably think of a number of businesses and charities that are linked together. I mean, uh, McDonald's, for instance, has Ronald McDonald House, where they, they house children with cancer and their families. And once a year, they sell the... Remember the Big Macs? Every dollar, every dollar for every Big Mac sold on a specific day goes to a specific charity. And other businesses, they, they support local, you know, the football teams and the cricket teams and all these sorts of things, and they, they pay a certain amount to have their logos everywhere. That's what we call branding. And part of it is the image they want to present is that they're good corporate citizens. So when you go and buy your goods from them, you feel good about yourself because part of what you're doing is helping someone else in some sort of way. So branding is, for business, essentially the job of building up a public image. They want to be seen a certain way, and as a result of that, they want people to buy more goods from them, you see. That isn't wrong. It isn't wrong for business to do that. If they, they're giving back to create an image that, that makes them look like good corporate citizens and they, they're supporting their local communities and they're doing all these types of things, then that's not a bad thing. But what about the individual? What about the person who brands themselves? What about the person who thinks to themselves, I want to create for myself a public image of me? Whether that image is true or not on the inside, most people do the same thing. You see, this morning, even before you came out, you prepared yourself to come out. I would say that none of you, from the looks of you this morning, got out of bed and just got dressed and came straight here. You're all looking quite good. There's a public image we create of ourselves. And part of that image is not just the outward appearance. But the things that we say and the things that we do and, the, and all the other things that we associate ourselves with. So in a sense, people do the same things. But why? Why do we go to the trouble of creating an image of ourselves for this world? You see, this is the problem with what was happening here in this particular passage. In Jesus' day, there were a number of people who were very, very generous and very giving. And the Pharisees were one of them. The Pharisees would give 10% of everything they owned. Okay? And they would be so meticulous about that giving that they would actually, if they had some, um, some herbs, 
Even a minute quantity, they would weigh them in very fine scales to make sure they gave 10% of their goods. If you read this passage, Jesus isn't happy with their giving. He isn't happy with their giving. There is a type of giving that, that men can do, and women, that Jesus is not happy with. And it's the type that uses doing good things to build up an image of yourself. Where the, where the most important thing to you about the things you do are not God, are not the people that you're helping, but rather how people are going to perceive you. And Jesus says, that ain't good. It isn't good. And if you think about it very simply, it's very clear why it isn't good. Because all you're doing is self-promotion. You are the first one in your mind. Neither God nor man is first in your thoughts. And this is what these people were doing. The real story behind these acts, where Jesus is speaking about these people who are hypocrites here, was, and the motivation was, that everything they did would be seen in the eyes of men. And the reason was that as they gave to the poor and needy, it was not because of compassion, but because of a specific business enterprise they were in. Me.inc. It's about self-promotion. They loved the praise of men. Their business, their primary business, was to elicit praise of men, but also to be esteemed in their, in their community, to be seen as generous and uh, large and giving. They wanted to be seen that way. That's why Jesus rebukes often people who, remember when he says, those of you who go to a feast, don't take up the, the top position. Don't take up the seat which is the most prestigious. Go to the lower one. No, that wasn't their cause. The cause was self-promotion. So the more they publicised themselves, the better they felt about themselves. This was about boosting up ego. If they gave to the poor, they made sure everyone saw it simply so they could improve their status before men. And as a result of the status, they were praised by, them, by men and they received, as Jesus says, their reward already. Not only was their giving done for the wrong purpose, but all the credit that they thought they were getting with God, all the brownie points they thought they were actually building up in God's kingdom, was actually the reverse. They weren't receiving anything as a result. It was non-existent. So Jesus gives a warning in verse 1 and he says, Take heed that you do not your arms before men to be seen of them. Today's sermon is focused on the act of giving to those less fortunate than ourselves. So when you give something to someone who needs it more than you, what motivation do you have for doing that? What purpose is there in that? And I won't just limit giving to the poor. I won't just limit the sermon just to giving to the poor. So if someone's begging you for money in the streets, that type of giving. Indeed, 
It includes that type of giving, but every act of donation, whether it's money, time, effort, and so on, is included in this thing. Giving to the needy can encompass all of these things and a whole lot more as well. The question I would like for us to answer for ourselves today as we enter into a a new year is simply this. When I do good things, when I do, when I choose to do something that's right, whether it's giving or helping, counselling, supporting, whatever else it is, to people who need something more than me, why am I ultimately doing it? Do I do the things to be noticed by other people? And I'll include even coming to church. I know people come to church for the wrong reasons. I know that. I've been around for long enough to understand that people's motives aren't always right. People come to church thinking they're doing something good for God. Or they come to church thinking that they want to receive something. And yeah, you always receive something from church. You receive the word of God, you receive the fellowship. There's, a, there's all types of benefits that come from it. But the benefits, sometimes people put the cart before the horse. And they look for the benefit rather than what they really should be a church for. Do I do things in order to be noticed by other people? Do I do good things like giving in order for people to look at me in a better way so that I feel good about myself? Is that my ultimate intention when I do these things? Or am I content knowing that God will be pleased with me and that my reward is with him? If no one ever saw what you did that was good, if no one ever took any notice of that, would it be enough for you to know that God sees it? The answer to this question may reveal a number of things about your soul. If I do not have a heart to give to others who are in need, am I genuinely saved at all? Because the heart of Christ was to give. The heart of the Father who sent him was to give, and he gave all that he had when he gave his only son. Am I really self-centred despite the good things that I think I do? Do I go out of my way to seek the applause of men when I do something good? In other words, when I do something good, let's say I was involved in something and, and I was helping out with something and someone else got the thanks, but I didn't. Would I get offended? knowing that that person got the praise but not me? Naturally, we would. Naturally, we would be offended if other people got got thanked for something publicly and we didn't. That's our human nature. But my question to you this morning is, is it the right nature? I hope that you will have the answer to these questions before the end of the sermon. I was wondering what to preach on today. You know, being come, we're, we're coming into the new year and, you know, do I, do I start off with a, uh, you know, a New Year's sermon about commitment to the new year and, you know, all these wonderful things that, you know, you generally do? Because I've been working through the Sermon on the Mount over the last few months and we had a bit of a, a, bit of a break from it recently and we looked at the, the leper. 
But I thought to myself, now let's go straight into it. Because as I looked at this message, it has a core message here. That this particular passage has a, has a core that affects really what's in here. It reveals what's inside here. And what's inside here is what we really need God to show us. Oftentimes we're scared to find out what's in here. Sometimes we're a bit scared to find out the truth. Like men. Men sometimes when there's something wrong with them, they'd rather not go to the doctor and find out what it is, because it could be something bad. That's generally what people are like spiritually. So the goal is for us to understand this, this passage today and to go into this new year understanding where our true selves are. Turn forward to verse 19 in Matthew chapter 6 and look what it says there. The goal to this particular passage, the, the, the background is this: these three verses. Chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What are you building? And the question is, are you spending your time building in heaven? Or are you spending your time building here on earth? It doesn't just mean building assets and money and wealth on the earth. What it means is, am I building my persona on the earth to get the praises of men now? Am I building an image for myself which, which is like an idol in a sense. Am I really worshipping myself and trying to present a beautiful image to everyone else? Is that my first thought? Let's continue. There's much talk in the Bible about the poor and the importance that God places on giving when there's a genuine need by those who need that most. You know, when Job got sick, when Job lost his children, he lost his assets, and he was sitting there in the middle of ash, and he was trying to work out why he was going through this, because in his mind, he had done the best he possibly could. One of the things that he, that he used, and when he was pleading with God to say, God, wasn't I right before you? One of the, one of the uh, arguments that he used was in verse uh, Job 30.25. You don't have to turn there with me. But he says, Did not I weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? So one of the things where Job justified himself before God, or sought to justify himself by, was his concern for the poor. Was he wrong? No. Because God teaches or taught in the Old Testament and the New that we are to have a concern for the poor, those who are in need. In Psalm 41, David says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. And it goes on, and we'll, we'll talk, look at that a little bit more towards the end of the message. But it says the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Blessed is a man that considereth the poor. So thinking about the poor should come naturally to us. In contrast... 
God gave dire warnings for those people who would seek to take advantage of the poor and oppress them. God said that he would come against those who would seek to subjugate the poor, to lock them into poverty, to take advantage of them financially, to use them for, uh, for selfish gain. Likewise, in the New Testament, the message is the same. We are to look for ways to support the poor, not to take advantage of them. That giving, the Bible says, begins in the household of God. The giving that we see in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, begins by looking after your, your loved ones in the church. Do you remember the contention that came up in the book of Acts? When the, when the Grecian widows weren't being given enough money to look after them and they thought there was some sort of um, uh, racism going on over there. The thing is that the church had an active program to give to those who, who were in need and widows were in need at that stage. Life's changed. Now we have governments who actually have the responsibility to give as well. That doesn't release us from every responsibility as a church. Because there are a lot more things that people need than just money through Centrelink or through a pension. There are a lot more things that people need. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now, one of the, one of the things that Jesus taught was that people would know that we are his disciples by what? By the love that we have for one another. That love should be so strong and should be so evident that the world will see how much we care one for another. So one of the reasons you do good is to show that you're a disciple of Christ. Go back to chapter 2 in Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And Paul says here, And when James, Cephas and John... They're the three apostles or three disciples of Jesus who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me. This is Paul talking. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So, so Paul said when he came to the apostles, they understood and agreed and accepted him as a brother in Christ. And the apostles said, we'll go to the, to the Jews and we'll share the gospel with the Jews. You and Barnabas... You go after the Gentiles, to the uncircumcision. And verse 10 says, look at this, Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So John already, uh, Paul already had that in his mind, that as he was doing his ministry, he would be keeping a lookout for the poor and supporting them as well. Indeed, this same teaching, this same spirit has 
maintained or continued throughout the ages, throughout the last 2,000 years. Because if you think about a lot of the missionary work that takes place, it's often associated and goes hand in hand with giving. They don't just they they fill people's spiritual hunger, which is first priority, but they also do that with physical needs as well. So a lot of missionaries don't just preach the gospel and then leave them. They go there and they set up orphanages. They help with with medical. They help to get them supplies and food. It often goes hand in hand. There's a charge that the, that, that Paul gives to um, the rich in First Timothy. You don't need to turn there, but I'll read it out to you. Charge them that are rich in this world. Now, that's rich with monetary goods. That they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good. That they be rich in good works, ready to distribute. Willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may hold, they may lay hold on eternal life. So Paul says he doesn't say you're rich, you're evil, you're going to hell. He actually says no, give thanks to God for that, but don't trust in those riches, but be ready to distribute to those who are in need if there is a need. And this passage in 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 Matthew chapter six, Jesus doesn't say. You know, I want you to go out to give to the poor. He doesn't actually command it directly, but he supposes they will. He says, when you do it. So he supposes that the disciples and those who are hearing him will automatically go out and be looking to help people physically. Let me tell you a bit about the word arms. Because in Chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Take heed that you do not your arms before men, to be seen of them. Okay, what's an arm? We don't tend to use that. Who did the arms recently? Who's done arms recently? No, not these things, okay. Alms, as in A-L-M-S. It's a, it's, a, it's a fairly old word that's not used as much, but it basically means a charitable donation of money or goods to the poor or the needy. And it comes from an old English word, almis. And that came from a Latin word, ali, uh, I've got to try and say this right, alimosina. And there's a Greek word that's almost identical to that, which I'm not going to bother to pronounce because I've got my Greek teacher over there and he's not going to be happy with the way I do it. The same word, the same word going back from old English to um, Latin, to Greek, meant the same thing. Compassion, pity and mercy. So giving as a result of those things. So arms can be seen as the action of giving to people who are less fortunate than you because of feelings of compassion, pity and mercy. So you have compassion on someone, they're in need, so you give what's of yours to them. That's a very simple thing, okay? Generally, it was money. Generally, it was money or food or physical things that you would give. Okay, But it's not strictly confined to that. So what is Jesus teaching in verse 1? Basically, he's saying, we are not to give, we are not to do good things for people, give of ourselves to people, to be seen of men. But... 
We can't help that sometimes do good things to people and be seen. Would you agree with me? Indeed, if you go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, hang on a minute. Is that a contradiction? Jesus is saying, let your good works be seen before men that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. But here he's saying, you know, don't do it publicly. Don't give money to the things publicly and, and, uh, and, and show off while you're doing it. Well, there is a difference here because it's okay to give money to the poor publicly. Sometimes you can't help it to give money to the poor publicly unless you invite them inside your house and, and, you, and you do it in secret like that. But it's not that. Jesus is saying the purpose for why you're doing it is the, is the issue here. The purpose. So if you're doing it to make sure that everyone sees me, have a look how I'm helping this guy over here. Make sure everyone else knows about it and, and write it down in your little you know, diaries that on this date, Frank gave this money to this person and I want you to remember that next time you talk to me. Okay? When, you're, when Christmas comes up again, I want you to remember what I've done. That's the problem here. It's okay to do good works. It's okay to give and even to give publicly. But if your motive is to give and you do it because you want to be seen of men, that's the problem. Now, the problem is that if in the innermost being of your heart you do not mean to, to do that, those things, to please and glorify God, you're doing it for yourself. And you will receive no reward. You will gain nothing with what really counts, which is in heaven. You will gain the measly or more meagre crumbs that the world has to offer, which are the praises of men, which are here today and gone tomorrow. But you won't receive the praises of God, which is what we should be working towards and looking forward to. What reward you have will be limited to the praise of men. Now, verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, Therefore, when thou doest thine arms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, they, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean, these hypocrites? Well, the word hypocrite is taken from stage players, actors. That's where the word originated from. And people who act the part of others or speak not their own sentiments, but the sentiments of others. It means here in the New Testament generally, those who hide their real sentiments. On the outside, they're one way, like an actor. And on the inside, but behind the actor is another person. is a different being. That's what the meaning of hypocrites is. So the feelings that they're showing and the things that they're showing on the outside aren't the same as what's on the inside. And actors do it. Actors act for, act for what purpose? For the applause. So these people do the same. Okay. Now it says that they sound a trumpet in the synagogues and in the streets. That's an interesting word, isn't it? When you think of it, I'm like, who... who Seriously, who carries a trumpet around with them anyway? <coughs> who would carry a trumpet and then, and then blow in the middle of a, of a synagogue? It's like a church meeting, right? 
or outside in the streets. Well, you do understand something about those times. Have you ever seen, as you go in the city sometimes, and they're generally in the city, the, the people who sit by and, and, they, and they hold out and they've normally got a little sign and they, they've got a, a hat out or something like that and they want you to give them money? Well, in these days, in Jesus' days, there were a whole lot more of those people. Much more. You see, there wasn't any pension. There wasn't any, any unemployment benefits. If you were out in the street and you couldn't work, that's why you always find people who were lame, who were blind, who had some sort of a physical disability, who could not work as a result of that disability, ended up begging for their lives. And people became professional beggars. Okay? So there were a lot more of these type of people in those days. We don't tend to see them as often these days. Not in our culture, but in other cultures, they're probably more prevalent. So in that, in that sort of situation, if you were a beggar, where would you line yourself up? You know, next to a church would be a good place. Because you know all those, those people who got that message from the Bible about you know, doing good and all that sort of stuff, as they walked out of church, their consciences would be pretty tender, wouldn't they? And if I was there asking for money, it would be the perfect place to get them. And it says in the streets, I remember Alan was talking to me, we were talking, was it last week when you gave that, that message of the, um, between the two Jer- Jerichos? And it was an interesting point with that because Jericho, there was the old Jericho and the new Jericho. Okay? Now the old Jericho was the, was the old town where people would live, but the new Jericho um, was like an industrial centre, was like a business centre. So all the, the busy stuff was going on. So people would be travelling between those two things, going home, going to work, going home doing whatever between those two things. So that little road between the two Jerichos was the perfect place for a beggar to be waiting. Because they'd get you as you walk to work on the on the way in the morning, they'd get you on the way back after you'd made your wage or whatever it is. So they'd, they'd position themselves like that. And the same thing was happening over here. There was a great number of people who were in need in those days. And they would congregate around specific areas to make sure that they got the best chance of getting a donation from people who were more vulnerable in a sense. Okay? But it's played right in the hands of the, of the hypocrites. Because the hypocrites, what they would do is they'd get the trumpet, right? And they'd blow the trumpet. And that was a call to all the poor people in the area that there was money to be had. So all the poor people would hear the trumpet and they'd say, look, there's money in that direction. And they'd flock to that particular area. Hence, you've got a nice show going on at the same time, haven't you? With all these people coming to, to get money and you're there blowing a trumpet and, 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 and handing out, you know, a dollar here and a dollar there. This is what was happening. And they did it. At the synagogues, so you looked fantastic in front of all your the people that go to church with you. And then in the streets, in the public streets, to make sure, probably at the most prominent corners where most people were. Okay, So they would be seen of the, the, the greatest variety of people and the, the majority of people would actually take notice of how wonderful they actually were. What were they doing? They were doing it simply to be honoured of men. 
They were doing it simply for their own reward. And they got exactly what they wanted, which was simply the praise of men. But remember verse 1. They lost any reward with God because God saw their hearts and God knew the motivation within them was not right. So they got what they deserved. Now look at verse 3 and 4. It says, But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine arms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. What's the sort of charity, what's the sort of giving that pleases God? Well, it's pleasing to God when it says that you don't, your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. Now, how does that work? Anyone can demonstrate that for me? Do you tie your left hand behind your back while you're giving with your right? No, this is a, this is a, a metaphor. This is, a, this is a, a picture that Christ is painting. Not necessarily that you, you, you have to hide your hands from each other, otherwise it wouldn't even make sense. But what, the, but what it is saying is that don't do things for the praise, not even of yourself. When you do something good with your right hand, and your left hand doesn't know about it, your left hand can be praising and, 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 and waving around and saying, oh, look how wonderful thing we did over here. It's the, the point of this thing is to remember that when you do something good, don't even praise yourself about it. Because what praise is there in doing good? The Bible says that we are his workmanship. Even the good that we do, God has already pre-prepared for us. And any good that's in me is only there because God put it there. Bible, I know within my heart there is nothing good within me. The only good thing that's good in me is Christ who lives there now, who lives in my heart. And any good that I do is only good if he has asked me to do it. If he is the one who has directed it. You see, there's a lot of good that people can do, but it has no eternal consequence. It's good done on a, on a temporal level, and it has no lasting benefit. Yeah, there are people in this world who are unsaved, who give money to the poor and, and try to help out and stuff like that. But in the end, what they do, if it hasn't been directed by God, doesn't have eternal benefit to it. So remember, when you do something good, don't do it for the, for the glory of men. But don't even do it for your own glory. Don't even pat yourself on the back and say, look what a great person I am. Because there is nothing good that's in us. And in the end, the Bible says that after you've done your service to God, all you have to say is, I am an unprofitable servant and I've done only that which was minimum for me to do. And how can you develop that sort of giving, though? How can you develop the sort of giving that where you give, you don't even think about it again and you quickly move on to something else? Well, it comes by habit. It comes by habit. Because the temptation is this. The temptation when we do something good is that we record it. Would you agree with me? And the next time you do good to the same person... You automatically register the last good thing you did for them. And then when you do something else that's good, you register that again. So what you're doing in your own bank account up here, 
You're actually keeping a track of every good thing you've done for that person. If that person doesn't do something right toward you, what's the temptation then? Is to bring up all the good things you've done for that person in the past and then try to and then say that person no longer justifies that. I'm not I'm not gonna stop it. Look look at all the stuff good stuff I've done for them. And they don't even appreciate it. Keep it secret from yourself. That's a life of freedom. And I'll explain to you why. Imagine not keeping track of any good that you've done for others. Imagine not having to keep track of all that. What you've given, what you've sacrificed. Imagine, t- imagine that every time you did something good for someone else, what you gave to that person, it was like the first time you'd ever done it. In order to do that, it would demonstrate one thing. It would demonstrate that you had ultimate faith in God and allow him to keep the records. Allow him to keep track of every good thing you've done. That would be freedom. Where I don't have to keep any more a track of every good thing that I've done so that I can remind myself of what a good person I am and how much I deserve from God and how much better I am than someone else. Imagine that you didn't have to keep track of every time someone did something wrong to you. Imagine that. Imagine that someone did something bad to you and you forgot it. And the next time you did something bad for you, you didn't then bring up the previous thing they did and the previous one before that, and the previous one before that. You see, this is what we're very good at. This is what the devil tempts us with. Okay, It's that we naturally want to keep a track of every good thing we've done to every person around us, keep track of every wrong that everyone has done to us, so the next time they do something wrong, we regurgitate and bring up all the old stuff that they've done. And we look at that person no longer in the same light. We look at them because of their history. Okay? But imagine if you didn't do that. Imagine if you didn't keep track of all their wrongs and all your rights. Because we're never tempted to keep track of our own wrongs, are we? That's half of our problem. It's harder to see your own wrongs than it is to see your rights. If you lived a life like that, it would ultimately mean that you had faith in God. It would ultimately mean that you would be trusting God to keep track of every good, bad and and indifferent thing ever done. It means you wouldn't have to keep a register in your head of everything because you were trusting that he'd be keeping a register. And that one day when you stood before him, you'd be confident that he would present that record to you because God doesn't forget. That's what faith is about. Faith is about trusting in God for everything in your life. That's what freedom, where freedom comes from. That's why the Bible says that thine arms may be in secret and that thy father which seeth in secret. There is nothing you can do that God misses. There is not one word that you speak that God 
doesn't hear. There is not one bad thing that's done to you that God doesn't remember. And there is not one good thing. The Bible even says that if you give a glass of water to someone in his name, he will remember it. Now tell me, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? That if you gave a glass of water to someone simply because they were a Christian, that God will remember that? And what reward is he going to give me for a glass of water anyway? Is he? Really? Is he really keeping account of every hair on my head? Bit, bit of an easy job with me, I can't admit it. This is where faith comes into it. This is when you examine your heart and you see whether you really believe what type of God you claim to serve and you claim to believe in. Thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And the reward may come in this life. Because if you look at uh, Psalms, you don't need to turn, I'll just, <coughs> I'll just read it. <coughs> David says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor, the Lord will deliver him out of time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing, and thou wilt make all his bed in sickness. Thou wilt make So even when you're sick, God will raise you up, and God will give you strength. And But even if you don't receive the reward here on the earth, and God often rewards us while we're still living, but we don't see it often, you will be rewarded in heaven. There is nothing that God misses. So let me wrap it up. We're all, we're all blessed materially. I don't know anyone here who's, who struggles to eat, who can't eat. Or maybe some people who are pregnant at the moment. Don't temporary though. We are rich. We are rich beyond... If we compare ourselves to every generation that's gone before us, if we compare ourselves to Jesus from Jesus' day until now, we are the richest people on this planet. Think of that for a moment. We are the richest people on this planet and we have, and we have more goods, we have more income, we have more health and, and wealth and everything else. And the funny thing is in Australia that we're often, that Australia is probably the most miserable country. Isn't that funny? Australia's ranked in probably the top 10 in terms of per capita wealth in the world. Top 10 out of 200 countries or so. And, and are we happy? No. We are more blessed than all of the previous generations. But we're the least giving. So let me ask you this morning, do you have a heart to give? And if you have a heart to give, not just of your time and your, and your money and, and all, but everything in life, is your heart to give? Because that's God's heart. God gave the most precious thing that he ever owned, and he gave it to us. And George Mueller once said that God doesn't judge, God doesn't uh, uh, measure our giving simply by what we've given, by what we've got left. Like that? Like that, that, uh, that saying. God measures your giving by what you have left. We must learn to give. That should be our heart because it's the heart of God. We must learn to give without self-praise and without seeking the praise of men. And we should do it only 
to please God, not ourselves. Psalm chapter 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. That's what I'm asking this morning. Most men will proclaim their own goodness. They will. People are always willing to talk about themselves and what good they've done, especially if someone else is talking about themselves. But a faithful man who can find. Because those two things aren't compatible with each other. Someone who boasts about all the good things they do tells me that they have a lack of faith in God, that they need that praise of men and the encouragement of men and that God isn't enough for them. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God is enough for you. God is enough, more than enough. When Jesus said, when Jesus promised that he was going to grant living water, he said that water will, will spring up into a spring that will flow out to other people. And that should be the life of the believer. The purpose of this passage and the purpose of my sermon today was to cause a person to examine their faith in God. The heart of true faith will trust God for all things and be giving and be willing to give. There is nothing you can give away. There is nothing you can give away that God doesn't notice and that God won't reward. Giving something of yourself to someone else, whether you believe they deserve it or not, will always be kept in God's mind. Your charity will be rewarded by God. But this is the story of Christ and Christianity. He gave it all. He gave it all, not for the praise of men, but for the praise of his Father. Not for fame and fortune, not as a marketing program to, for self-promotion, but as a genuine act of love. Heaven's riches were given to us at his expense. That's what grace is all about. Each of us is rich, not just financially. But if you're a Christian this morning, you have riches beyond your imagination. If you're a Christian this morning, if, you have, if you've put your faith in Christ, you have something this world can never even imagine. You have the riches of heaven. You have the grace of God. You had the mercy of God. You had the Holy Spirit in your life. There are things this world cannot even understand that you have. The question is, what are you doing with them? There are gifts, the Bible says, that God has specifically given each and every one of us that we might give to others. What are we doing with them? There's a thing that the world needs more than just food, and that's the Word of God. What are you doing with it? Are you yourself starving because you're not feeding yourself with the word of God so you have nothing to give other people? Feed yourself with the word of God. Feed yourself. Be full with that word so you can then go out and feed others who are, who are spiritually hungry and dying. As we approach the beginning of a new year, let's enter into that new year with a commitment that we will be people of genuine faith. Not charlatans, not hypocrites, not people who are doing things because we want to be seen of everyone else to be fine. Let's do it for the Lord. Not pleases of men, not for the rewards of men, not for self-gratification or glory, but that in some way we can put a smile on God's face and make him happy. Let's stop living Christ uh, shallow Christian lives. 
that go to church to get something for ourselves or to please or impress others around us, not to... Or maybe to appease our guilty conscience. Why do you go to church? You should be going to church for him and him alone. To worship him. To learn more about him. To serve him in your church. To give it all. Because he gave you all. Whether you give to the poor. Or give money to the church. Whether you help others. Whether you read your Bible. Do all the Bible says for the glory of God. And in seeking to do good for him, you may bless others around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that you were willing to give it all for us. We thank you that you gave the most precious thing that you had, which was your only begotten son, and that you sent him to this earth to die for sinners like us. Father, that we might have a heart like you. Lord, that we might be people who give and not giving, Father, for the sake of pleasing men or to receive a reward. But, Lord, that we might please you, that we might put you first in every area of our lives, that we might give in every possible way, Father, for in giving we indeed find ourselves in you. So, Father, I pray for each and every person here. I pray that your spirit would be still working on people's hearts, revealing what's there for them. And Father, I trust that your word will have done its job this morning. It will reveal the hardness, it will reveal the stony ground, and that it will break the stones that we might, Father, grow. That the word of God might be planted there, that it might take deep root in our lives, and that the fruit that we bear would be a testament to the love of our Saviour. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, that you would break their heart, that you would help them to see their desperate need, and that they would turn to you with all of their might and cling to the Saviour who hung on that tree. Father, if there is any here, I pray that your spirit would continue to work on their heart, would continue to help them to understand that there is only one way to heaven, and that way is Jesus Christ. Father, if there is any brother or sister here this morning that's struggling with sin, I pray that you would help to free them from that sin. I pray that they would recommit their lives to you, that they would seek to serve and honour you in every area of their lives. I pray that they would give you the glory by the way they speak, the way they act, by the way they think. Thank you for this church. I thank you for your word. And I thank you that we have a saviour who never gives up on us. We ask these things in his precious name. Amen.